Michelle. And how, how are you living? <laughs> I'm living well. It's cooling off in LA. Feels we're like both, we're both in fall oh. gear. Oh yeah. As soon as I could put a hoodie on, even when it was still too hot, I did. <laughs> I almost I had to turn the AC on to wear the sweater. <laughs> well, we're now in the time of year in LA where there's a 20 degree difference from the moment Truly. you wake up to midday. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. yeah. But it's fall, y'all. We're How continuing. Oh, I'm good. I'm about, you know, I'm I'm com- I'm closing in on the end of my baby time baby coming up real quick baby incubation time so lots of things popping up lot like little anxieties big anxieties but most most just mostly just excited you know I'm trying to remind myself fear is just excitement without the breath so Mm -hmm. I just am trying to breathe through it and walk myself through it but actually some of the anxiety stuff is around money and like, mm. you know, I'm taking time off for the first time <laughs> and run. Obviously, I work at Holisticism and that's like <laughs> you work at. <laughs> yeah. I work for Holisticism <laughs> and the money stuff is, you know, something that it's like the elephant in the room with, you know, me and my partner, but also not because we have to talk about it. And mm. this conversation with our guest today, it actually gave me a lot of courage to talk about the things, even though I've done so much work on money mindset myself over the last couple of years, there are still things that I need help with or, you know, that I'm like, I struggle with. And I think today's guest is such a good example of like, you can be an expert. You can write books, literal books that people publish and pay you for on money and still have stuff to work on when it comes to your relationship to it, your mindset, and your overcoming your trauma. Well, especially because there's always different types of money issues or things to work through, like you guys talking about finances as it relates to bringing a new human into the world. And for me, I talk about this a little bit in this episode, moving in with a new partner and talking about money before we move in and just what's come up there and how to prioritize that. And to your point, I think Alyssa, our lovely guest from Mixed Up Money or at Mixed Up Money, does a great job at being very transparent about how she attempts to show up in a very transparent way. I just said that twice, but it's true. (laughs) She's so transparent. She was transparent twice. Yeah, (laughs) because she really emphasizes that she doesn't always have it all together and talks about the pressure of being a certain type of creator and showing up and having to look as though you make a certain amount of money or talk about making a certain amount of money, especially when you're in the realm of content creation that has to do with personal finance. So she does a really wonderful job at speaking to the intricacies that come with that. I was just thinking about how when you feel like you've got your feet underneath you when it comes to money or security, often you're thrown for a loop. For example, you finally get your feet underneath you in your business and then you start making more money. And then it's like, wow, now I have more to manage or you hire more people or you, you know, cohabitate and you start sharing finances or maybe your job changes or your partner's job changes. And it just, I don't know. I think it's really comforting to know that you don't just arrive with like, I'm healed. I'm ready to go. Now I'm good with all the things that come to finances. It's just a, it's a constant process. It's really an evolution of tweaking as you go. So I, I think this conversation really speaks to that. Yeah. We should just get into it. Let's Without do it. Ado, here's Alyssa. Here's Alyssa. 
we were just applauding your, how, how did you share all of your money stuff? Because that's actually one of our first questions normally when we have someone on is we ask them yeah. to answer one of these two questions. How many friends do you have or how much money do you make? And pretty much everyone wants to answer how many friends they have. A surprising oh. amount has opened up to us where we didn't expect it. Yeah. But not everyone. I mean, if someone asked me that on a podcast, I'd be like, what? Yeah. I tried to be anonymous because it felt really scary, but that lasted about a week. <laughs> and then <laughs> I immediately was like, you know what? I'll be more accountable to myself if everyone in my life knows where I stand. And it'll be a mm. lot easier to have difficult conversations with friends and family regarding the big changes I'm making in my life to repay my debt because mm -hmm. I had to basically stop spending on almost everything that I did for fun. Right. While you were feeling that shift of, okay, these are the decisions I'm going to make. I'm going to not only make content with it and bring in my community and my family. Were you like working somewhere else? Were you making this content on the side? When did you decide that part of your journey was going to be documenting this stage of, of financial change? So I was working at the time, ironically, at a debt consolidation organization. What? I love this. This is such a good piece of the puzzle. It's, it's very yeah. the cobbler's children have no shoes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually was working in marketing and communications at that company. Okay. But that was when I first had an inside look into what my life would look like if I didn't start doing something about my money. Right. Wow. I had so, to sit in on sessions with a lot of the clients and those clients would often tell their, basically their entire financial situation. They had to disclose that, of course, but then they would talk a lot about how it was impacting their everyday life. And it was really hard to listen to, not because of the stories they were telling in the sense that it was sad that they were struggling financially, but because I could relate mm -hmm. way more yeah. than I wanted to because I didn't think it was getting that bleak for me. What was the turning point for you when you were having those discussions where you were, was there like one story or one moment where you were like, okay, things need to shift? Yeah, it was probably had a lot to do with the fact that at the time when I was working there, I was going through a lot of life changes. Like prior mm. to this new position that I was working in, I went, had gone back to school because I was unhappy in a career that I had done previously. And because I wasn't doing well financially, it seemed like an, a good opportunity to kind of escape. Hmm. Like when you're a student, you don't have to worry about those things because it's okay for you to be in debt. It's okay for you to be struggling because right. you know, which, yeah. what early 20 year old isn't struggling financially. Like most of us are barely making ends meet. So I felt more at ease there because there was less pressure yeah. than working full-time nine to five job when you're supposed to start suddenly tackling all of these traditional milestones that people throw at you. And I think this was the first time that I realized I had to actually transition back into that. That was kind of the next step in my life, whether I wanted it to be or not. Hmm. That's so interesting. I, I always wanted to go to, I love school. Like I, I love school. Me too. <laughs> and I love learning. Okay, great. We're kindred spirits. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I have thought about going back to school so many times, but the idea, I started working when I was, you know, pretty young. The idea of not having an income is 
gives me so much anxiety and in being, being yeah. in debt. And I would look at my friends who are going back to grad school and, and be so jealous of them of like, how can you like, how do you not have just this pressing anxiety on you at all times that, that there, yeah. you have debt? you know, that you have lots of debt that you're going to have to repay. I was like jealous, <laughs> you know, you know? Yes. I wished that I could, I could like be in that position that you were in. So it's interest. It's so interesting for me to hear that you're like, yeah, I don't know if that was, you know, good or not, but that was what kind of what happened. It was, it's like both of us had our, our own money trauma in a way, right. And are addressing it uh, or not in different ways. Yeah. Well, yeah. And most of my friends that are also in the finance community, when we talk about like our upbringing and where we're at now, so many of them are like, there's no way you grew up in a stable household. <laughs> like the way you view money and do you think that's true? Scarcity. I think to be honest, after I've done a lot of reflecting in the past two years, a lot of it, a lot of the scarcity that I have around money and the, the trauma that I have around money, are a lot of it's self-inflicted. Really? A lot of it is like I created this scarcity when I was repaying my debt. I told you I stopped spending money on everything I loved mm -hmm. to the point where it became extreme frugality, which is sometimes very toxic. It's like the, it's yeah. kind of like fire. Like in a yeah. sense, I was in the fire community because I was pushing myself to one extreme and you just can't do that with money, you kind of have to find a balance, which is so difficult. Right. And I didn't learn that until I had already created this world where I was forbidding myself from enjoying my money. So I had to relearn how to yeah. enjoy money. Yeah. Also going back to the debt piece, there's this unconscious part that plays into that where I think because so many people, especially in the US where school is still expensive in Canada, but it, it's even more expensive in the US. You just see so many people who are just oh, have to be okay with having a certain amount of debt because that's the only way they can get post-secondary education. So there's this relationship to a certain amount of debt when it's related to school that it's a little bit more of a concept. Not that it's not a felt reality, but it's so large. It's hard to conceptualize. Mm. And sometimes until you have to drastically change your life or it's very felt on a lifestyle, physical level, it's this concept and idea floating around of debt until it becomes, to your point, you have to change your whole life. Yeah. And you can off, like a lot of people get sucked into the normal way we view money, which is that all debt is bad. You know, that's what a lot of more senior financial experts will tell you, like, all debt is bad and they make you feel demoralized, basically, for having to do something. Because for the average person, like you said, it's really hard to achieve all of the things that this system tells us to achieve without taking on debt like mm -hmm. going to school, like buying a house for a lot of people, even getting married, like all of those things right. are extremely costly. Right. And to put that pressure on ourselves to be able to afford that stuff up front or to manage that debt once you've taken it on alongside all of your other bills is extremely difficult. And mm -hmm. I really like what you said too about the not having those conversations early on in your life, which then shows up when you're an adult. Mm -hmm. Because when you are struggling suddenly, how do you talk about it with anyone? Because you've mm -hmm. never had those conversations and you don't know how to bring it up. You don't know if you're the only one struggling, if this is normal. And it's not until I started to be open and transparent about my financial situation that anyone felt like we could talk about it.
now it's like, as soon as I say I do anything with money, everyone's like, oh, here's my deepest, darkest secrets. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's like when someone finds out you're, you're a doctor and then you, they're like, okay, will you look at this? Yeah. Thing for me? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. I, I relate to you so much, Alyssa. I, I had the same sort of mindset around money and it's so weird. My sister and I obviously grew up with the same parents in the same household. She's four years younger than me. She has a completely different mindset around money. I was like frugal living in an apartment that with a you know front door that didn't close because I wanted to get the cheapest rent possible. She she didn't care about that type of stuff and she's totally fine. We f I feel like like she has no money trauma and I had so much stuff that I had to work through and like we had the same upbringing and the same parents and my some of my dad's lessons she just didn't absorb and and I really did or maybe absorbed them a little too hard. Mm. But I'm curious how did you break out of that sort of almost miserly uber frugal perspective that when you talk about it, it reminds me a little bit of diet culture of like mm. extreme dieting, right? Of like, I need to just restrict, restrict, restrict. I cannot have anything that has sugar in it or anything that's bad. I can't spend any money. How did you get out of that? Oh, I'm still working through it. <laughs> I, that's real. That's real. <laughs> I'll be completely honest that I don't know if it'll ever completely go away. Scarcity, mm. like it's neurological, mm -hmm. it impacts your brain. So if you do have scarcity, if you grew up in poverty, it impacts your ability to perform and be productive. Mm -hmm. So it's not something you can kind of just flick a switch and fix. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I will say that I do a lot of things now that might sound silly to other people, but I have to do them to give myself permission when it comes to my money. So one thing I do is I love spreadsheets. So I have a spreadsheet that's just all of the things that I really want to buy. And this might sound no, like I also have one. I also have one of these as well. It's Perfect. on Notion. It's not on a spreadsheet. It's on Notion, but it's everything I want to buy. Oh it my actually gosh, prevents me from buying me too. most of it. Same. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, oh, it's taken care of. <laughs> yeah. It's on the list. And then I forget about yeah. it. <laughs> well, that's why I started doing it. So I started putting down the item, the link to the item, how much it costs. And then what day I started thinking about it. Ooh. And then I give myself three months and I go back to the spreadsheet and look at it. And if I've still been thinking about it for that entire period, then I'm going to give myself permission to purchase it. Most of the time, these items are more expensive, like over $500, I feel like is kind of my limit, but everyone's will be different. Yeah. And that spreadsheet has kind of transformed my ability to spend on things that I typically would shy away from. Mm. So that's one thing I do. But the second thing I do is I compartmentalize all of my money goals. That includes my savings and my spending. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of sinking funds. So for instance, I've already saved all the money I'll need to buy Christmas presents and all the event stuff that I'll need for December. Cool. Um, and then I don't have to worry about it. I'm like, yep, this is allocated money. I have assigned it to a project or a goal. So I'm free to spend all of the money in that account. What, do you open up separate bank accounts and like give them a title or do you do that like on an app like Digit or something? I have, yeah, separate high interest savings accounts for all of them. And then for some, like my emergency fund, I actually go as far as keeping those in a separate bank so that I can't see them out of sight, out of mind. That's what I do that too. That money is strictly for emergency. It's, yeah. it's like invisible yeah. money. <laughs> yeah. I right? like barely know the password. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, I don't want to know. Mine are NCDs, so I, I actually can't even take them out until, you know, a certain amount of time. 
So yeah, basically everything that I do with my money is actually fueled by emotion. Mm. I catch a lot of flack because most of the financial content that I do talk about and share is mostly geared towards the your relationship with money rather than the analytical side of money. So like, yes, this may be the correct way to do things if you're looking to save money or reduce the amount of interest you're paying. But if the other option is reducing a burden and stress, then that is what I personally would do because it's going to clear up that brain space for me to accomplish the next goal. Whereas if I'm worrying all the time about this one really emotional source of debt or stress, then I'm probably going to take longer to accomplish my goals. I love all these different frameworks, knowing yourself and setting up a system that will work for you based on your actual habits over a long period of time and not in this wishful thinking, aspirational, I should be like this. Yeah. I always talk about the aspirational versus inspirational. Mm -hmm. Like, is this going to move the needle in who I really want to be? Or is this just something that I hope to be? And being able to decipher that when you make financial decisions is so important. So it's really cool that you brought that up. Yeah. One of the ones that I keep thinking about is I'm always trying to buy things that will heal a problem that could be healed by doing like basic everyday things. <laughs> but I'm always like, I'm so tired. I should just buy a new espresso machine instead of <laughs> finding a way to get the appropriate amount of sleep. That will heal all of my problems. So that's kind of the example that I use, but the same goes for, you know, I wanted to start a bullet journal and then I'm like, do I really want to start a bullet journal or do I just keep seeing Instagram reels right. and TikToks showing right. me people working through their bullet journals? I'm like, that looks amazing, right. but yeah. I know I'm not a bullet journal journal girl. So I stepped back from that one and realized that was aspirational. Alyssa. Right. Yeah. You want to be the person who has a bullet journal, but alas, it, it, I will never be that. Yes. Person. <laughs> never. No, I will never be a meal prep person. Mm, nope. That's just not my vibe. I respect it. I wish I could be, but yep. I just won't be. There are weeks when I'm that person. Yeah. Yeah. But not for life. Not every yeah, week. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that a lot of what you're saying, Alyssa, reminds me of something that we talk about a lot at holisticism. We teach a lot of people with what we call squiggly brains. And a lot of our listeners are squiggly brained people. So they might identify as being neurodivergent or ADHD or ADD or just super creative, nonlinear thinkers. And knowing what you're capable of and what you're also not capable of. And instead of sort of like looking at that as something that holds you back, recognizing that actually I'm a really emotional spender and that's something that I can maybe use to my advantage. Or I'm trying to think of an example of like with money, for example, yeah, out of sight, out of mind. If you are someone who has object impermanence, then yeah, putting your money in a bank account that is harder for you to access, you're less likely to take it out of your bank account. Like there you go. That solves your problem. And it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. You're actually just kind of working with what you've got. I love that. Have you ever read the book no Bad Parts by Dr. Richard Schwartz. No. He actually talks, essentially that's the entire premise of the book, is talking about how there isn't a single part of you that is bad, but mm. you may have internalized that belief because someone in your life told you that that part of you was bad. So I always like to say, you know, 
maybe when you were a kid and you were going to school. Like for instance, I have two kids. My daughter is extremely outgoing. She's very loud. And I love, love that part of her. But other people may not love that as much as I do because when you're going to school, maybe they'd be like, you know, you need to put that part of yourself away. You're too loud. You're being disruptive. So you can't act like that this mm-hmm. in this space. And so this is one of my fears. I'm just completely outing <laughs> right now. But I'm worried that they would tell her to put that part of yeah. herself away. And when she's an adult and she suddenly realizes that that part of her exists and that she actually wants that part of herself to be there, that suddenly she's starting from whatever age she put it away at. And she has to relearn those behaviors in a way that's appropriate or at the age level that she's currently at. So when you are a spender or if you're an emotional spender, like what part of you wants to spend Mm -hmm. this money? Is it that inner child that was told that they were bad? Because you might believe that you're making the wrong decision when in reality you just need to work through those decisions in a different Mm way. That's so astute, like that your behavior, we often want to reclaim the parts of ourselves that we cut off because someone told us it's too confusing or you're too big or you're too much Mm -hmm. or whatever, right? And I've never thought about it as almost an arrested development that you're working from the place, you know, the age, uh, emotional age that you cut that, that part of yourself off from. Oh yeah. That's a really great book if, for anyone who has any sort of childhood trauma. It's who doesn't man? Good for anyone. Who, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Is that part of the internal family systems? Yes, kind of it psych- is. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I've heard about that. It's interesting to think about that, I guess, as it relates to shame and money too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, my partner and I were talking about this last night because I'm moving in with him and we were like, okay, well, we should talk about money and talk about our history with money and and where we're at. And a lot of what we talked about was really our childhood traumas around money and, and we were able to go there, but it was really hard to admit to the different areas that we both had mm-hmm. shame. And I'm curious how you work through that, even through the internal family systems. Yeah. I First of all, I love that you're having that conversation. I have a workbook for couples who are ready to start having the conversation about money. And those are essentially many of the questions that are in there. A lot of it is talking about your upbringing because that heavily dictates your financial relationship as an adult. But as far as shame goes, I feel like this again is something I am constantly working through. I've gotten a lot more comfortable with people not accepting the way that I do money because I've been on the internet now for seven years. And through that time, I've had many people judging or critiquing how I do things with my money. Mm -hmm. So I've had to learn to have a thick skin. Unfortunately, the internet causes us to have to do that a lot of times. (laughs) But I think for me, it's more like I am always afraid to do things that make me look weak Mm. or I'm afraid to do things that it make me look like I'm trying too hard Mm. because that might imply that I'm not good at this thing or that I could fail Mm -hmm. at this thing. So essentially that is shame. Like I just don't want other people to look at me like I'm smaller than I am or not as Mm -hmm. capable as I am. And just recently I've just started kind of giving in to those feelings of shame and fear. I am taking, I took trauma of money, which I'm sure you've heard of. We love Chantal. Yes, it was 
We love oh, Chantel. She's the best. It, and it was an excellent course. I highly recommend it to anyone who's looking to change their relationship with money. But one of the things that I am terrible at is deep breathing. Like I just always was like, oh, that makes me look weak. It's not going to fix my problems. <laughs> like I was just brushed it yeah. off. And then in one of the classes, we had to spend 30 minutes deep breathing. <laughs> and I was mm. like, oh my gosh, this must be important if they're spending this much time on this. Like, and so I, I was like, I have to do this. I have to just accept that I need to try something new that makes me uncomfortable. Mm. And I started crying because I couldn't do it. <laughs> and I was like, do I actually not enjoy these things? Or have I just been convincing myself that I shouldn't enjoy them because they make me look different to other people? Mm. And that was kind of a turning point for me in saying like, no one's ever going to do things the mm. way I do them. So why should I let their opinions dictate the way I live my life? You just provided me a breakthrough, Alyssa. Thank you for sharing that. I'm I'm yes. eight months pregnant <laughs> and I'm doing this hypno babies course that my doula recommended. And I truly am rolling my eyes through the entire thing, even though I'm obviously very witchy and spiritual and into alternative things. <laughs> but there's just something about it that's like, maybe it's the branding, maybe it's babies in the title. I don't know, but I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is so cringe. And <laughs> part of me is also like, this is so cool. And I, I'm, it's, I'm like watching this internal conflict come up of like, what is, why am I like so resistant to this? It's so funny and so weird. And, and you just helped me break through that. So thank you. Thanks for sharing. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's exactly how I felt. Even when you sometimes see people dancing in public or like really being oh, out yes. like loud and loving life, like I used to feel uncomfortable and now I'm like, oh yes, I love this. I wish I could do that. I think that's why it makes me uncomfortable because I'm scared mm -hmm. to accept that I might want to do mm -hmm. those things too. And ooh, not only being online as a creator, period, but then working with money and adding on your own methods and your own perspectives and new ways of doing things, I can only imagine how difficult that is to constantly be checking in with yourself and trying to sift through all of the different reactions that you get projected mm -hmm. on you, essentially. Yeah, I have had to set some really firm boundaries when it comes to being a creator online, because even last week, like I posted one video sharing my opinions on bank accounts and in relationships. So how you should manage your money with a partner and why it's important that you keep some of your money separate to protect both yourself and your partner. And oh my gosh, <laughs> the men in my really? comment section <laughs> were oh. so unhappy oh, with that. The men? Yes. Me too. Wait, I'm surprised. Yeah. I think it's because for them, money is like one, typically one of the biggest things they bring to a, a relationship is, mm -hmm. yeah. is finances. Yeah. So as soon as they feel that maybe they aren't the sole provider or the champion in that aspect of their relationship, they probably have internalized a lot of beliefs that that's their, their job value. in a relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that was, yes, yeah. exactly. So I think that was where it was coming from. But unfortunately, I felt the wrath of their insecurities. And, you know, I could have spent weeks <laughs> arguing yeah. with these strangers in my, in my comment section. But, you know, I just, I've learned now to just like <laughs> block and move on. This is not my are not Love my that. issues coming on. to life. Yeah. So 
I've, I'm still learning, but I'm trying to set boundaries. Yeah, toxic mas- masculinity is a hell of a drug, I'm... man. It'll, it'll really like, <laughs> it's, it's it very up. strong. I love how much Alyssa, you've talked about, it's a work in progress in so many different, you know, areas that we've touched on. Cause it just feels, I like feel that in my body as mm-hmm. so truthful. There are so many things where we expect to arrive and we have this idea of some kind of euphoria or end goal or achievement when a lot of these things aren't like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm curious what you might whisper to a past version of yourself that was struggling with money. What would you whisper in her ear? Oh, that's such a good question. Should I actually (laughs) whisper? It was an ASMR (laughs) podcast. We can have it really fast. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think... Honestly, I think what I would really love to tell my past self is that money isn't linear. Like it will come in waves. Some years you will be extremely successful and be able to accomplish all of the goals on your list and save a ton of money and earn a ton of money. And then other years will be the complete opposite. No matter how well you did the year before, it doesn't always work that way. And so it's okay to have an imperfect year, to not hit your goals, to accept that not everything will always go the way that we plan. Because I have like, since starting talking about money, there's a lot of fear about other people judging if I'm not doing well, or other people expecting me to earn a certain amount of money or spend a certain amount of money. Mm -hmm. And you know, I've had two kids again. So like I've had to take a full year off of contributing Mm -hmm. to my retirement account because it just wasn't in the cards financially. Mm -hmm. And it's not fair to myself to put that extended pressure on because other people are expecting me to do something with my Mm -hmm. money that I cannot do. So yes, just money isn't linear. That's the- It's both really scary and also really heartening to hear you say that because it is true Mm -hmm. and it lets you kind of release your- like stop holding your breath around like I I have to be exponentially better every single year. It also just reminds me that everything is a season, you know, like success is a season. Failure is also a season or whatever, like feeling like we're not, we're not where we want to be. It it's, that's just the passage of time. Like, and it's, it's a moment. And if we can just see that it's temporary, all of this is temporary. Like, yeah. It, it makes it feel a little less scary, I think, and that it's not mm-hmm. going to be like that forever. Like you don't have to have debt forever. If you don't want to, you can move past it. Mm-hmm. And most things in money mm-hmm. take a lot of time. Like it doesn't typically happen overnight. It doesn't even sometimes happen in a year. Like most financial goals, the short-term financial goal they'll say is three to five yeah. years. That's a long time. When you right. think about it, a long-term financial goal is is five oh, to I, 10 years I was say, retirement's like so, a 50 year goal right you know like that's a lot exactly yeah. one year of financial struggle is yeah. not unusual and it's probably going to be more than one year and it might be random or it might be three years in a row like we just mm-hmm. take what we can get i feel I know. doused in like truth. i know you just said so so many <laughs> good things so good. i love how everything that you're saying is really connected also to like emotional human experiences like relationships you know the same things happen in really mm. i talk with my therapist yeah. about this a lot with my partner like there are some years where i'm going to be leaning on him way more than he leans on me and vice versa 
And it might be for a couple of years at a time that I really need his help and I can, can't contribute as much or, or he can or whatever. And, and hopefully over the span Mm -hmm. of our very long marriage and our very long lives, you know, it all comes out in the wash, but it can feel hard when you're sort of, your Mm -hmm. nose is pressed up against the glass of like, well, this is right now. It feels like so, I don't know, like it feels so, so permanent, even though it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And also in relationships, like so many of us feel this immense amount of pressure to contribute financially, but I have to remind everyone that it's not just, that's not the only way to contribute to a relationship. There are so many other ways. Some of them might not be paid, but they still matter. And they still oftentimes help the other person be successful in their financial goals. So regardless of who's providing what in a relationship, you're all all each of you is providing something valid. It just might not be like, I'm really funny. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And that's what I bring to the table. (laughs) Honestly, that's all you need to bring to the table. That is, that's a requirement. That's a gift. (laughs) That is a gift. And to that point, also like gender pay gap, so real. And reframing the idea of labor too, and reinforcing, Michelle and I have kind of like joked about this, but are also trying to say, maternity work instead of maternity leave because she's about to go and do a really difficult job (laughs) that she's never done before. Alyssa, you as a mom know this and it's just something that's so valuable to keep reinforcing that there are these other forms of work and labor and contributions that society doesn't deem worthy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I just like, I'll be the first to say I was completely unprepared for parental leave and being a mom, I struggled a lot. And it's not that easy when society constantly tells you that like, you'll just have that maternal instinct and you'll figure it out. And I was like, no, actually, I'm not figuring it out and I'm not happy and I'm really uncomfortable. And the first time with my daughter, I really just was too afraid to say that out loud. And this time I had my son and I took four months of maternity leave and my husband has since been on parental leave. So he's on month. This is his last wow. month of parental leave and he loved it and he thrived. And we were like, let's just do this. It might not be the normal way, <laughs> but it works for us and it felt really good. And it That's still amazing. feels good today. Yeah, I, I have gone back and forth on it. It's a whole other podcast. I'm sure we could have a conversation about, but at one point I was like, wouldn't yeah. it be so cool if I had a year of maternity leave? Like if I could save enough money and get the business in the place where I could leave for a year and it would all be good. And then I got pregnant and I was like, I don't want to leave my work for a year. I love my work. (laughs) I know I'll love my baby too. I hope I'll love my baby, but, but I really love what I do. And like, it brings me so much joy. I don't know if I want to be away for that long. So kind of like a lot of what you've said, just trying to tap into like, well, how am I feeling right now in this moment, knowing things will change, knowing that this is just a season and that I can change my mind and, and like trying to prepare for that, you know? Yes, exactly. We love to get into people's organizational strategies and frameworks and tools and things that help them do what they do. And as somebody who's a parent, a content creator, and also managing your finances in maybe new and alternative ways, what are some of the organizational habits that keep you 
on that path feeling like a sane person some of the time. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I don't know if I do. Uh, There is a lot that goes into keeping everything straight in my life. I, I am, well, I've already said that I love spreadsheets. So I essentially have a spreadsheet for everything, every project that I have on the go. I have come to learn that I'm not actually great with apps or anything digital. So are other you using than Google Sheets? Wow. Is that the, okay, great. Yes. Love a Google Sheets moment. Mm-hmm. So, right? Yeah, absolutely. An for, upgrade from Excel. A hundred percent. For everything finance related and content related, I do everything by hand or on Google spreadsheets. If I don't do my finances by hand, I really struggle to actually understand how much I've spent or where I've spent it. I need to feel it be real and not just see it. Do you actually like write it out like Mm. in a in a ledger. I'm imagining you wearing a hat, like an old time bookie and having, you know, like those green lights and you're like, all right, tapping up the numbers and you have a little calculator and it's like, ding, you know, um, is that what you do? Or do you mean like you just have to type it into Excel yourself as opposed to like have some sort of automation that tracks all of your expenses? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm wearing the hat now. No, I, I do. I write everything by hand in a notebook. Wow. Everything as in your writing every transaction or just summaries. Okay. Do you do it every, every day? How do you keep up with that? Oh, that would take I, so much time. I, oh, I do it at the how end of every month. You? This is how I budget okay. at the end of every single month. Okay. It takes me bad. about two hours. It's not okay. that bad once a month. Yeah. So I go through all of my accounts online. I write down each of the expenses. And I put them into the categories that I have in my spreadsheet. Okay. I do this because it not no. because it hurts, but because I can <laughs> say to myself, you, you right. actually spent this right. much or money Amazon. on takeout right. food yeah. this month. Yeah, right. You exactly. need to see this. <laughs> yeah. And so I do that. I make the calculations with a calculator and then I put the totals into my spreadsheet. Okay. So instead of tracking my expenses daily, because I have a past of being too extreme, with tracking my spending and I don't want to mm-hmm. avoid enjoying my life like we've spoken about earlier. I wait until the end of the month because I have automated all of my bills and essentials. So those things are okay. Yep. The rest mm-hmm. of my money is for fun. Mm-hmm. So this gives me the freedom to do what I please and then make sure I'm still on track at the end of the month and do kind of a reset nice. as I head into the next month. If you are doing that and then you're like, okay, I spent too much on takeout. What is your follow-up action? So Most of the time, if I'm over and it's a pattern, like if I look back and it's been three months of me being over, Mm -hmm. then I will actually go as far as adjusting my budget because clearly this is, this is important to me or I wouldn't continue to go over budget Mm -hmm. in this category. Mm -hmm. If it's just a one-time thing, I'm not that worried. It's just a reflection of like, okay, this happened. What happened during the month? Like, was I really stressed or anxious or... Did that Mm -hmm. dictate my financial habits? Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's more just a reflection. If it's a pattern, then I think it's worth the change. But there are many months that I'll experience where I'm just not having a good month and I opt for convenience. And Mm -hmm. I think that's perfectly okay. Yeah. Convenience is a big, big factor and doing things last minute. I feel like when, when you're feeling unorganized or stressed or overwhelmed personally, I feel like last minute expenses sometimes just like get Mm -hmm. you and you're like, wait, what? Yeah. And I have 
always have money going into my emergency fund. Mm -hmm. So it's typically overfunded. So if there's any time that I do go over budget, it's kind of like slush fund or slush money that I can allocate to those yeah. categories. I know. Thanks for getting in the weeds on I know. that. <laughs> what type of pens do you use? Different jelly pens. What? Oh my gosh. I'm a huge pen Ooh, person. The Sharpie okay. gel. Okay. Oh, cool. Sharpie. Love that. It's um, all... I also love writing <laughs> things by hand, but I'm, I'm sort of like a slut for notebooks. And I realized that number one, I'm also, I'm an, I'm, mm. I'm a zero book budget kind of person, unlimited book budget. Same thing with notebooks. And I'd have these huge aspirations of maybe I'll be a bullet journal girly. Maybe this will be the year. This will be the month. And so I'd buy a new, you know, <laughs> notebook and be so excited about it, write for two pages and then forget that it existed or put it somewhere in my house. But I've been using my iPad instead and using this app called Notability. And it's very similar. You know, I can write with my actual handwriting, but it's really changed my ability to keep all of my notes like sort of collated in one spot and still do that like that process of writing, which is different than typing for me and helps me process things differently intellectually. So if you ever want to go somewhat digital, I would recommend Notability, checking it out. It's pretty cool. I'm going to check that out. I do use a rocket notebook. I'm not sure if you've heard of that. So I do use that one because I happen to overpurchase, if not. And like this keeps the amount of notes that I have in check because <laughs> otherwise I write too many things, start to lose track of things. Yeah. So yeah, I like it's somewhat digital, but it's still real. But I'm, I'm going to check out the app that you recommended. Oh, okay. The, we'll send yeah, it Because I have an iPad. Thanks for being patient with us and spending a little bit more time. It was so fun. This was so lovely. Alyssa, thank you so much. Where can our community and listeners find more out about you and your content and offerings? For sure. So you can find me on any social media platform at Mixed Up Money. And then I have my blog, which is mixedupmoney.com if you'd like any free content. And there's and a few book. free products there as well. Oh, yeah. Girl. <laughs> I have two books. Um, <laughs> my first book is called The 100 Day Financial Gold Journal. So if you Ooh. like to write by hand, it's a good way to get to know your financial habits and behaviors. And my second book is Financial First Aid. And you can purchase both of those at any major book retailer. Amazing. Thank you again. <laughs> Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.